And it's not that I have this thing turned on wrong. Okay. All right. We can go to the old-fashioned way. How about now? All right. Well, that's a good way to break the ice. Um, my name is uh, Nathan Thompson, and uh, it's my privilege to uh, present the message this morning. Pastor Marlin is uh, doing counselor prep, which is something he usually does on this weekend every year, which uh, also happens to be uh, Sarah and I's anniversary weekend and then Sarah's birthday. And then usually I'm, I'm just kind of chasing that with a message because more often than not, I've usually uh, had the privilege of speaking on this weekend as well which uh, I find is a, a great privilege to be able to uh, to do that. And I would also say, uh, just uh, from uh, probably from Pastor Marlin's perspective, I think uh, he is getting to a point where uh, he could use a little bit of help, but I don't think he's cutting back because Marlin would be like, I'm not cutting back. <laughs> I think his roles are just going to shift because uh, he's going to... Uh, Stay, uh, in my opinion, I think he stayed just as busy as he always has in the ministry. But maybe he could take a few uh, few more trips and do some uh, extra guest speaking as well with uh, with a uh, an associate pastor here as well. So an exciting time uh, for us and our church. Let's uh, just go uh, to uh, let's have a word of prayer as we get started with uh, our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, for our earthly fathers and all of the uh, lessons taught us. Lord, uh, we thank you for giving uh, those of us who have the privilege of being dads uh, the uh, ability to do so. And we ask that you give us the uh, strength and grace uh, to do that to the best of our abilities. Lord, we just thank you for uh, those people in our lives uh, who have been given to us to be uh, mentors and helpers um, and have uh, served faithfully in our lives in that way uh, to make us uh, uh, better uh, children of God, to make us uh, better servants of yourself. Lord, uh, those people who have operated as uh, lighthouses in our lives to keep us for making bad decisions and to also help us to um, realize when we have made bad decisions how to um, come to you for restoration. Lord, those people in our lives are so valuable. and We just want to thank you for them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you can see from your study sheet, uh, we are going to uh, be continuing in the uh, Prophets Club. Last week we looked at uh, the Prophet Samuel, and this week we have the opportunity to check out uh, the Prophet Nathan. So a little bit of a character study on the Prophet Nathan. Um, I grew up as uh, in, in a Christian household where... My parents as missionaries named me and my three, three sisters after biblical names. So we have Sarah, we have Miriam, we have Esther, and we have Nathan. And I was assuming that uh, these names had significance to my mom and dad because, you know, obviously they, uh, they named us very purposefully after uh, biblical names. So I texted my mother yesterday 
And I said, Mom, was there any specific reasons or uh, really cool things why you uh, would have named me Nathan? And uh, so she texted me back and she said, well, as my mom would say, uh, your dad and I were missionaries and uh, one of dad's favorite uh, characters in the Bible was Timothy. And um, so your sister Sarah would have been named Timothy, uh, but she was a girl, so we named her Sarah. And then by the time you came around, we were in the mission field, and there was lots of missionaries, and evidently Timothy was a popular name, and missionaries were naming their sons Timothy. And then she goes, and, uh, and some of them nicknamed them Timmy, and Dad thought that was wimpy. I apologize to any Tims who are here today. That was just my dad. Thought Timmy was wimpy. So uh, when you came around, we named you Nathan. And those who know me, because I get the question quite often, do you, uh, do you go by Nathan or Nate? And uh, now I know why my parents, you know, just stuck with Nathan. They didn't want anything that would shorten it or make it cute. Um, just like the prophet Nathan, uh, that, was, uh, that was my name. So when people ask me that, I'm like, well, my mom called me Nathan. So you can make your choice. I won't judge you if you call me by whatever. Uh, I've never done a character study on the prophet Nathan. And honestly, I don't think I have heard one done uh, on the prophet Nathan. Usually when you're studying uh, David is when Nathan comes up as a subject. And so you get some snippets here and there, here and there. But uh, it is uh, my 54th year, and I think Marlon uh, figured, that, figured out that it would be uh, better late than never for me to do a study on uh, my namesake, the prophet Nathan, so here I am. Um, I do have a story, though, um, that I think is relevant to uh, some of this. It's about a farmer uh, who uh, was outstanding in his field, but that's... Uh, uh, but anyway, he became uh, close friends and uh, with a snake that uh, he used to pass as he was driving along the highway with his tractors and his heavy equipment and his loaded down trucks. Uh, he would travel along the same road and uh, the snake would often sun himself in the middle of the road. Um, and so, you know, they got this thing going and he named him Nate. And uh, and they had this thing, this, you know, farmer kind of liked the snake. He was probably a good snake. He was one of those good ones that uh, eats rats and stuff. But uh, as he, uh, so they, they grew closer together over the years, especially during the summer when uh, Nate the snake would warm himself and they'd pass by and, you know, the farmer would wave and the uh, the snake would go like that. <laughs> and one, one day uh, the farmer noticed that, uh, there was some road work beside the road, and uh, the next day there was this sign that said the end of the world in big red cautionary letters, and down right below the sign on the side of the road there was this big lever. The end of the world with this big lever beside it. So he kind of, you know, was like, wow, that's significant. But the next day he was coming around the corner, the big heavy load, and Nate the snake decided to sun himself, probably because he was curious about the sign and the lever as well, right beside, right in the middle of the road beside the sign. And he came around the corner, the farmer did, and he had a big heavy load. And it's like, oh, 
there's Nate. And he's like, what am I going to do? So he hit the brakes and his, his truck started to, uh, he knew he wasn't going to be able to stop. And he like got right up as close as he could. His truck wasn't going to stop. So what am I going to do? It's like the lever, the snake, the lever, the snake. So he sadly ran over Nate. And uh, he went home that day and came to his wife and <laughs> told her the story of what happened. And uh, he was very heavy-hearted, and his wife said, "Oh, I know you—you uh, you loved that snake. That must have been so hard for you." And the farmer quietly bowed his head, and, and he shook in the affirmative, and he, he, he quietly said, "Well, better Nate than Lever." <laughs> Sorry about that. I just, you know. I couldn't resist. You know, when you're gonna, when you're gonna preach on, uh, your namesake, you have to, there's, that's, that's the only thing I'm going to try to do, uh, in, in that sense. But let's just get down to business now and actually consider the great prophet, uh, the prophet Nathan, who really was a lighthouse bringing God's light to David's life and Solomon's life during really key points of time in their life. Crucial decision-making times, times where great darkness was about to settle in, when uh, the rubber really met the road, uh, the prophet Nathan was there to uh, deliver God's message in uh, his life. So uh, last week we saw Saul who uh, anointed, or Saul Samuel, who anointed Saul and uh, worked with him through uh, the time that he was king up until the point where uh, Saul was uh, a failure as a king and um, Samuel obediently uh, obeying the Lord anointed King David uh, as the king. And that's where Nathan picks up as really the uh, prophet that the Lord used in King David's life. The other thing that my mom said, which I thought was great, she goes, uh, you know, Nathan, the prophet Nathan has to be a special guy because uh, God obviously used him to advise King David, a man after God's own heart. So like, who do you get to advise the king, who is also described as the man after God's own heart, a godly man. And uh, so he had to have a very special place. He had a very special privilege to be that prophet. Uh, as we're going to uh, look at uh, the prophet, I think there's a, a good way to... Um, to kind of see him in action uh, through these uh, three ways, these three questions in David's life that he helps to answer. Whose house will be built by who? The prophet Nathan helped answer that question, and God used him and God gave his word to answer that question. Secondly, we're going to look at this uh, crew question, or key question, and this is that you have to enunciate it correctly. Who is that man? We're going to see that question being answered by uh, the prophet Nathan. Who is that man? And then the uh, third question that helps us see the relationship between uh, David and the prophet Nathan is whose throne is it? Those three questions. Whose house will be built by who? Who is that man? 
And whose throne is it? So we're going to kind of uh, CSI the prophet Nathan here and ask, who are, are you? Who? 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 Whose house is it going to be? Whose house is going to be built? Who is that man and whose throne is it? So let's take a look at these three historical and biblical events uh, in David's life and uh, how Nathan was able to uh, be an influence there. Uh, whose house will be built by who? In Second Samuel, which is where we're going to uh, be for a good while here this morning, we find uh, King David prospering. Uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5 says, in all the tribes of Israel, or then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in times past when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led, out, led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over them, a ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed king over Israel. King David over Israel. David was 30 years old. It's pretty young, really. Those of us who are a little older than that now. He was 30 years old when he became king, began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. So up until the time he was 70. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned for 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. In chapter 6, we find that uh, David, there's a whole story there. You can kind of read the whole chapter later if you want a little bit more context. But we find that David works to get uh, the Ark of the Lord to Jerusalem, to the uh, nation's center. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17 says, So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. So he built a tent for the ark to rest in, set it up there, set the tabernacle up there. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. So he brings the tabernacle or the, uh, well, the tabernacle and the ark to Jerusalem. They celebrate. Uh, they praise the Lord. And now we come to Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. So here's where the question comes. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, so the king's house, it had to be a nice house. We find out that it was uh, made of cedar. Um probably big, thick walls. It's a king's house. It has to be significant and uh, pretty nice. So he was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. So the Lord had blessed him tremendously in the nation, uh, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So if you read into that just a little bit and give me a little creative license here, uh, you can almost see this conversation going on between Nathan and David. He's like, I'm living in a house of cedar and God's living in a tent. Can I build a nice house for the Lord? 
I think that uh, I think that was probably how some of that went. Because Nathan then says to the king, like, hey, you have a good heart. You have good motives. It says in verse three, then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Um, and then he left the king and he went back to his house. And it happened that night that uh, God came to the prophet Nathan and he said, well, I know you told David and you gave him, you know, good advice as you could. But uh, oh, sorry, I'm leaving my, leaving my microphone. You gave him as good as advice as you could, but I have something different. And so Nathan had to go back to the king and, and uh, in essence, correct himself and said, hey, I've got a different word from the Lord. I know I said it would be good. Do whatever you want to do. But no, the Lord has something else about this whole house business. How often have you thought one way and then the Lord said, nope. You have to do something different. Uh, and if you're an advisor to the king, uh, you also uh, have the, uh, you know, you're giving advice to the king and then all of a sudden you find out from the Lord that, uh, no, it's going to be different. So what do you do if you're Nathan? You are a faithful servant to both the king and to the Lord and you're faithful to his word and he goes back to the king and he corrects himself and says, God has a different word. So if you look at the uh, character qualities on your study sheet of the prophet Nathan, I think this is where you can kind of put uh, a little note that Nathan was faithful to the Lord and to King David, giving him the wise and right counsel from God. So let's keep reading verse four uh, in Second Samuel chapter seven. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build the house for me to dwell in? For I, for ha- I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but I have moved out in a tent, or moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, Have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to uh, the shepherd or to shepherd my people? Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God's kind of telling it to David straight here. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. So. The Lord tells Nathan, remind King David that I took him from the sheep pen. Now, if you're King, if you're if you're the prophet Nathan, it's like those are pretty uh, those are pretty direct words for the king. So you are following the sheep to be and you to be the ruler over my people. Verse nine. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. So who's going to build who a house? 
Who did he send to uh, answer that question for the king? He sent the prophet Nathan. So, in essence, he's a little bit of a play on words here. David's like, I want to build a literal house for the Lord. And the Lord's like, well, I didn't ask for that. (laughs) Um, But David, I am going to build a house for you. Uh, really a house from his line, a dynasty, the, uh, the, house of the, the house of David, the line of kings. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He will be his father or I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the uh, blows of the sons of men. Verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. So almost like the rainbow was a promise to Noah. Uh, God sent the prophet Nathan to King David and says, you're not going to build me a house. I am going to establish you as the uh, king in the kingly line over the nation of Israel and build the house of David and your son will succeed you. And so will all of uh, the uh, the line of the uh, kings from David on up to the Messiah. And it is a promise before you. It's like there's not going to be any more of this. We're removing this line uh from the nation of Israel, like Saul's line was removed. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So in your, uh, on your study sheet, there are a couple of things that we see from uh, this account. One, I think you see really Nathan's faithfulness, both as a servant to the king and he was faithful to God's word. And uh, we find in verse 17, it says, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. He didn't hold back. He didn't soften it up. He told David all the counsel of God, even the part about the sheep pen. He was going to give him what God had given him to do. So he was a faithful prophet. He was faithful to God's word. Uh, he gave them all of the counsel of God. We see some of the fruit of this in the next few verses. If you look down on your study sheet, you see the character uh, quality of fruitfulness. So in this instance, he helped David accept his role as the house, as the kingly line that would continue through to the Messiah. So David dropped the whole idea of building a house. We see that he actually in the future helps his son Solomon do that uh, and prepares the way for the temple to be built. But David was satisfied with his role of being the initiation of the house of David, the kingly line. You see just a little bit of that in the next few verses, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord? A little bit of humility going on there. And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. This is the measure of man, O Lord, or is this the measure of man, O Lord God? Now what manner can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant, 
for your word's sake, according to your own heart, you have done all these things. So, David, this is one of the great areas of praise where David just praises the Lord for who he is, accepts his role in the grand plan that God has. David would not build a house for the Lord. The Lord would build David's house, a royal dynasty through which would come the Messiah. And the king took those words, those words from God, from Nathan, and accepted that role in his life. I think that was a pretty significant portion at the beginning of uh, King David's reign. So the next few chapters in uh, 2 Samuel, you find... um, that uh, David continues to prosper. He, uh, he does some good things within the kingdom. Uh, and remember, one of the things that we're looking at here is, is uh, we're going to see some of the darker times of King David as well. So um, we find that uh, as you get to Second Samuel chapter 11, King David gets away with some pretty bad stuff. He takes a uh, turn for the worse. He falls into sin and is guilty at the very least of complacency as he sends his soldiers and his generals out to do battle and he sits in his house. Complacency. We know what happens after that. There's the whole uh, account of him seeing Bathsheba. And uh, not turning away, but following that through all the way to adultery. Uh, Bathsheba conceives, and so there's this whole plot and conspiracy to bring Uriah back and to, uh, you know, hopefully get get it so they can hide the pregnancy. And Uriah was very faithful to his soldiers and never went to go stay with his wife. He's like, no, I'm going to sleep in a tent with my soldiers, because how dare I go into the comforts of my wife? And so finally he's like, well, if I can't get him, if I can't trick Uriah, the next best thing to do is to just send him out, put him in the front lines, and let's have him die. So King David takes a, uh, a turn for the worse. But remember, David over his whole life is described as a man after God's own heart. He, we see a big portion of his humanity and his sinfulness here. So who do you send to confront a king of complacency, adultery, and murder? Because he'd gotten away with it. No one else was going to know. You send the uh, prophet Nathan. Um, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent... Nathan to David, and he came into him and said. So this is where, you know, when you look at some of the character qualities, those people in your life who have been a uh, faithful friend and brother who's willing to come to you and say, you're wrong, and you sinned against the Lord. Like, that's the kind of person Nathan was. Um, but he's also going to have to be um, very direct, forthright, and say, dude, you're wrong, dude, you're wrong. Uh, and then to be able to do that in such a way that the king would respond, um, I, I think there's a really good mix of truth and grace when it comes to how Nathan approached his job as the prophet to the king. 
uh, his fortrightness. He didn't hold back, but he delivered the message very carefully. So in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see a comparison is given. This is one of my favorite stories. I don't know if you've done anything about the prophet Nathan. You probably heard this story, but verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Dave, or Nathan tells this story and makes this comparison for the king. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other one poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. So he had sheep galore. He would eat, I don't know, what's the mutton, lamb chops, all the time. He just, he just loved his lamb, meat, because um, he had plenty of it. And there was a poor man. So the poor man in verse 3, the poor man had nothing. Except one little ewe lamb, a little girl lamb that he loved. So I think he named his lamb Mitzi. I have a Mitzi in my house. She's, she's a favored person in my court. A little mini schnauzer. Uh, but this ewe lamb, he says, uh, which he bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and his children... It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie on his bosom and was like a daughter to him. So I always was that person. I grew up on a farm. Animals were animals. Like I would always just scoff at the people. They were like, oh, my dog. And I have to do all this for my dog and all that for my dog. It's like, well, my dog's sick. I'm going to spend $10,000 at the vet. I'm like, if your dog's that sick, just put it down. Until my until we became empty nesters. And then... Um, and then Pepper and Mitzi took a bigger, more important role in my house. So Mitzi literally lays on my bosom in the morning while I watch the news and drink my coffee. And I have to like continually push her away from my coffee cup. Because like this guy, she drinks my coffee and she eats my bread. And I'm like, they're there. I love you. Can you believe that? I think I might have even said I love you to a dog. But that's how this poor man was with his little ewe lamb. Now a traveler came, it says in verse 4, um, came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd. So the rich man with all the sheep, like lots of sheep, he gets a visitor and he needs to get some mutton and he goes to Super One. Well, he didn't have Super One back then because usually they just, you know, just killed one of their sheep out on the farm. But uh, instead of killing one of his sheep out on the farm, he went and grabbed Mitzi from the poor man, and they had Mitzi lamb chops for supper. King David was like, what? We need to, we, we need to punish this man. Like, we need to find him and make him pay fourfold. I'm surprised he didn't just say, like, execute him right there, but... He must not have been an empty nester yet. Uh, but he was like, we got to punish him. Uh, so who is that man? And right about then, the wise prophet Nathan goes, David, you are the man. And David all of a sudden saw everything come before his eyes. He was, the, uh, he was the rich man with all the sheep. He had access to all the women in the kingdom that he could possibly uh, want to find. But no, he went after Bathsheba, Uriah's one treasure of his soul. 
Um, so we see he makes a comparison between the rich man, poor man and this whole sheep deal. And he points it out that you are the man. There's that confrontation there where he's not afraid to be forthright and to give him what it is. You know, back in these days, uh, if you upset the king, you could end up with your head on a platter. I mean, you know, but uh, Nathan was God's servant first, king's servant second. So in chapter 12 here, verse 5, David's anger then burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely this man who has done this deserves to die. Oh, he did. He was like, let's, but he must have at the very least pay restitution. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. So he answers the question. Um, then he really confronts David. And he says, you despised God's word. And doing the things that you did, that's how important Nathan, that's how he described it. He didn't say you did all these sins. He said, you despise God's word, God's commands in your behavior. Uh, he describes some very deep consequences that are going to uh, be happening to David as a result of his sin. As a result of this sin, David had family problems. Uh, his kids rebelled. Uh, they did things that were uh, horrible. Up until uh, towards the very end where one of his, his sons literally just went out and declared himself as king over uh, David. Um, so he was going to have consequences. Another consequence that we find here in chapter 12 was the, uh, the uh, child that was born as a result of uh, David and Bathsheba's sin ends up dying. That was very hard for both of them as well. But part of that consequence. And then David uh, confesses to Nathan and to the Lord. Verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So if you want a whole lot more about that one little verse that packs so much into it. Psalm 51 kind of uh, gives David's uh, confession and his contrite heart about what he had done. And Psalm 32, David celebrates the uh, fact and is so grateful for the Lord's forgiveness that is extended to him. So both of those psalms are packed into that uh, little verse 13 right there. Um, and then the uh, next thing that we see here that uh, I want to point out to you is um, in verse 24 and 25, Another son is born, a child to be king. Then David confronted the wife Bathsheba and or comforted his wife Bathsheba, went into her uh, and she gave birth to a son and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan, the prophet, and, and Nathan gave him a nickname. I don't know what rhymes with Solomon. Jedediah. Uh, he named him Jedediah for the Lord's sake. So Solomon also had a nickname, Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. Scholars uh, would say here that uh, the name marks Solomon as the true successor to David's throne. So that is what we find in uh, that portion where Nathan answers that second question. Who is that man? And David's like, oh. That is me. 
So on the fruitfulness part on your study sheet, he helped David see his sin and repent. No small thing in uh, the realm of being a king. He helped David see his throne or see his sin and repent. The last question that we see answered here is uh, whose throne is it? So we uh, find David, remember he uh, was 30, he ministered for 40 years. So when David reaches about 70 years old, he's uh, getting old. We find him in 1 Kings chapter uh, 1. Getting a little older, the first few verses describes him getting uh, some assisted living. Uh, he gets a nurse to uh, help him. So he's getting a little old and frail. And you know what? Like, uh, so I'm, I'm still fairly young, but uh, we, we all have parents. And uh, as I've watched my parents and Sarah's watched her parents, I vow to myself, like, you know, we should age wisely and make decisions before we have to make our kids make those decisions for us. Like, when's it going to be time to stop driving and to need assisted living and all of that? But probably when I get to be that age, I'll be just like my dad, too, unfortunately. But David needed some help uh, as he got to that old age, and we're going to uh, – so he gets a nurse – uh, again, I think the complacency in his age was coming along um, because turn, if you would, to First Kings chapter eight. All of a sudden, one of his rogue kids rebels. In verse 5, Adonijah, son of David from his wife Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. That's how you do it, folks. You just go declare yourself to be king. So he declared himself to be king. He got a whole bunch of important people whose names I don't want to try to pronounce right now. And he said, let's have a feast. And I will we'll all celebrate the fact that I just declared myself king. And you know what? We're not going to invite Bathsheba nor Solomon because uh, back in those days, if you invited people like, like that to uh, host at your meal, um, you couldn't do things like kill them then. So he didn't want them at the celebration because uh, he was going to make sure that they just weren't going to be around anymore uh, so that they wouldn't have a claim uh, to the uh, king as well. So verse uh, 10, he did not invite, so who was it? Adonijah did not invite Nathan, the prophet, nor Beniah, the mighty men, and Solomon, his brother. Uh, verse 11, what do you do if you're Nathan? Like, you need to, you need to figure out this, uh, this situation. Here in the character quality section of your study sheet is where I would put a uh, quality for Nathan of foresightedness. So um, I know he had foresight. He was a prophet, Nathan. You know, God, God kind of helped him with that. But he also read the situation. He saw what was going on. And he was like, wait a minute. God told us that Solomon was going to be king. This is important because God was going to establish the house of David. And Adonijah does not have a, port, a part in that. He's a rebellious kid. So... Nathan is uh, pretty smart as he tries to figure out 
how are we going to um, to do this? So the question he is answering is, whose throne is it? So he goes to Bathsheba and he says, and that's the other interesting part. He was wise enough to go all the way back to the beginning of all this relationship and grab Bathsheba and say, you need to go talk to the king. He's getting a little old and frail. I think you can encourage him to do the right thing here. Verse 11, Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, your son Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. So now come, please let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. So figuring Adonijah was going to do them in. Go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, my lord, O king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Again, Nathan asked some very smart questions. It reminds me of, um, you know, where the Lord says, Come, let us reason together. Like, I want to ask you some questions that make you think. Why has Adonijah then become king? Well, that's not right. Behold, while you are still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So as the king then, so Bathsheba goes into the king, says, really, is Adonijah the one that should be king? Don't you remember that you said Solomon was going to be the king after you? Right about that point, Nathan would come in. And what would they have? They would have two witnesses to confirm from the king who was to be um who was to be king. So uh, they went, they uh, executed that plan. And the result, and you can read it here, is David was like, no, you are right. Solomon is to be the next king. And you know what? Let's anoint him now. And guess who gets to be one of the people who anoints King Solomon? The prophet Nathan. And the priest, his name starts with Aziz, Zadok. So both of them, David says, go, anoint him. He, they come back. David actually bows to Solomon on his bed because he was uh, bedridden at that time. Word gets out that there's a bigger celebration than Adonijah's little wimpy party. It's Solomon's party. Um, and as a result, we find uh, through Nathan and his wise counsel is asking these important questions of the king and the fruitfulness side of it. That third one, he helped David acknowledge that it was Solomon's time to be king. That's no easy thing to uh, get, get a king to be like, oh, I think it is time. You're right. How did he do that? I think only through uh, God's help and very wise counsel. Uh, but that was the end result. He helped David acknowledge it was Solomon's time to be king. And the last part of his fruit there is he helped anoint the next king, King Solomon. So we see that uh, Nathan was a faithful prophet to God and to those he was charged to illuminate. He was forthright even in the hard times. He would ask the hard questions and he would tell you the things that you might not want to hear. But he also had foresightedness as as he was like, if we do these things and do those things, or if these things happen, this is not going to be good for the family. But he was also a friend. Uh, we find that uh, he was a friend of David and Solomon. Uh, it is in the scriptures. I don't have the uh, verse written down, but we can look it up. Uh, David actually named one of his sons. Guess what? 
Nathan. Um, he was, uh, Nathan was with the family during some of their most challenging and difficult days. You know, David being described as the man after God's own heart, most of his life was probably really good. But when uh, things were not really good, Nathan was the one that stood in that gap. Um, and certainly was someone who bore really good fruit in the lives of these two kings. Uh, the other thing, too, is historical uh, Hebrew history accounts have King Solomon with uh, Gad the seer, so another prophet, and Nathan sitting beside Solomon on the throne. A place of um, great appreciation and importance. So who can advise uh, the king? Who was the man that was the man after God's own heart? It was Nathan. My mom also told me, and I knew this before, but she reminded me in the text, Nathan also means gift of God. Or God gave. So God gave David and Solomon a gift of wise counsel, friendship, forthrightness, and someone uh, that really bore great fruit in their life. His life was uh, used greatly in the lives of those two kings. So as we get uh, to the end here, and I think kind of what is the lessons learned I think uh, as, as we look at it and it's Father's Day, we all have had those people who have mentored us in our lives, both male and female, that were those imp- important people who brought the right word at the right time, made us think, led us in the, uh, in the way of the Lord, gave us that wise counsel that uh, God used them to give. How can you be a gift like that to those people around you? Um, One of the things that uh, my dad did for me when I was very young, um, I don't know, I must have been junior high or sixth, seventh grade. Is that junior high? I think so. Um, He made me memorize scripture. Not a lot of it because I was a young whippersnapper and I had school to do and things like that. But one of those verses was Psalm 1. And, uh, you know, where can we start if we want to be the kind of person that the prophet Nathan was and be able to offer the kind of wise counsel that uh, Nathan did? Um, Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So Nathan did not mix with bad people. In fact, he mixed with good people and he helped make those people better as he uh, interacted with uh, King David. So to be a wise counselor, you need to hang out with wise people. It's like, don't hang out with those people, hang out with these people. Blessed is the man who walked not, uh, but then it says, and his delight is in the law of the Lord. So don't hang out with the bad people, hang out with the right people. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. The prophet Nathan brought God's word And God's word had a very high place in his life. So if you want to be successful, if you want to be able to add wise counsel to your friends, to your neighbors, to your kids, you need to delight yourself in God's word because that is where the truth is and that is what will guide you. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who bringeth forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither and who brings forth his fruit in its season. So people often describe me as a stick in the mud, and I'm like, no, 
I'm not a stick in the mud. I'm a tree. Planted. Grounded. So I may look like a stick, especially when I was younger. Um, but uh, in that firm foundation, drinking from the, uh, the springs of living water, uh, and you bring fruit. Fruit that's not only to your benefit, but as in the example of the prophet Nathan, fruit that is of a benefit to those around you. Uh, and then the last part of Psalm 1 says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And if you go back and read some of those passages in Second Samuel and Kings, you'll see the evil people, they just blew away like chaff in the wind. So here's the deal. I know we got some young people here. Um, I didn't ask my wife about this because I don't know. We'll see if anybody takes me up uh, uh, on it. But um, if you want to be like the uh, prophet Nathan, a good place to start is uh, in the scriptures and memorizing Psalm 1 would be a great thing to do. So I got 10 bucks for anybody in the next couple of months here through the summer. You don't even have school. If you come up to me between here and uh, the beginning of September and you can tell me Psalm 1 by memory, I got 10 bucks for you. And then you can be wise like the prophet Nathan, too. All right. Spend my money. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are in control of our lives and uh, you lead us through your Holy Spirit and your scriptures. But, Lord, we are so thankful for the people that you also bring into our lives. Uh, spiritual leaders, um, godly moms and dads, friends, wise people that come into our lives that uh, illuminate the right way, help us answer the right questions at the right times. Lord, for those people, we are very thankful. And Lord, make us a gift to those around us, just like the prophet Nathan was to King David and King Solomon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our reward at the end of the slides is more than 10 bucks.